All right, let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and for salvation you've given us. We ask that you would guide my words, that they would be uh, what you want to speak to the people today, and that you would encourage um, all of us here through your word. You would direct us and instruct us so that we may love and honor you more, that we may love you with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and continue to follow after you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John if you want to follow along. 1 John, it's one of those small books towards the back. Uh, we're going to be reading just five verses this morning. Uh, 1 John chapter, five, or chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. So hear the word of the Lord. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So when I was a young Christian, and I uh, encountered this book and these passages, I found these very encouraging, actually. And I'm going to argue, and I want to press on you, that these verses are encouraging if we see them in the correct light. Uh, we need to balance the words of John, not just take one verse at a time, and focus on that at all, only on that verse, but we need to take every single verse in this passage and balance it to see what John is really saying. And as I progressed in my Christian walk, uh, I endeavored down that fault of focusing on one verse only, only one verse, and it, it started to weigh heavy on me. It started to weigh heavy on me because what was happening was I was falling off the trail that John is trying to guard with his if statements here. He says a lot of if this, if that, if this. And what we see is what we, is John is trying to guide us on a path. Guide us on a path and doesn't want us to walk to either side of that path, right? Think about yourself on a mountain, you're climbing up the hill and there's a cliff and then there's a lot of rocks and trees. And what do you notice? Well, if you focus on the cliff, you tend to walk towards the cliff. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but if you focus on the trees, you tend to walk towards the trees, but if you focus on the path, you tend to walk where you're supposed to walk. And I would argue that's what John is doing here. He's guarding that path so that we may actually walk as we should as Christians. And then so when I went to seminary, uh, my view started to change. I started to see it as more encouraging again. Uh, and so I want to give kind of a personal story as an example so that it can shed light on how we should endeavor down this path. Uh, when I lived in California, I'd, um, I partook in this race, if you're ever familiar with Ragnar. It's like one of those where you got a, like 12 people and you run a big distance as fast as you can. It's like 100 some miles and they have all these sections. Every, it's all sectioned out and you rotate people. And naturally, what ends up happening is you start running at weird hours of the night in weird places in a city. Uh, but it's all kind of guided. And so on one of these races, I had a, a stretch of distance I had to run that was about 
started at about 4 a.m. So you can, there's no lights, it's just the night sky. And it's up in the hills uh, east, west of South San Francisco. So if you're familiar with the area, there's mountains there, it's very wooded. Um, and it starts out running on the streets, nice and bright. And I'm like, this is great, it's a nice night out, it's cool. And then it takes a turn into the woods on a path. Now, I feel comfortable because I have a light right here, right? The light is guiding me. And I have about four miles to go on this path, and about a half mile in, the light goes out. And I start freaking out. Fear encompasses me. Why? Because it's darkness all around. Part of that is just physiological. You have a light here. Your eyes are not, uh, your pupils are not dilated. And then when the light goes out, it's kind of like when you uh, are in a bright room and you go into a dark room, you're like, I can't see anything. I can't see anything. And fear is kind of encompassing you. And then as time progressed, the moon, I noticed the moon was actually a full moon. I didn't notice it before. And it was shining some light. Kind of calm myself and look around and pretty sure I saw animals, eyes moving. It's kind of freaky. Uh, and because our team was one of the faster ones, we actually start in the back of the race because the idea is they want everyone to finish at the same time. So there's no one around me, and I haven't passed anyone for about two miles. I haven't seen anyone, uh, and I don't think I'm going to see anyone until probably daylight uh, in the next stretch of the leg. So I'm kind of by myself, freaking out, fear encompassing me. And then I start to see the path illumined by the light. I look around, look to the left and right, and I can't really see the path, but if I focus on the path, the moon is shining just enough light on it that I can see where I'm going. So I start to run. And I call it my run by faith, because that's how it really felt. I was running in faith, following the light. And as I was running, if I looked left or right, what would happen is I couldn't see the path, because it was dark out. I kept my eyes off the light and I would start to wander into the darkness. If I had stopped and just looked all around, I would surely end up in the darkness. And so I had to run by faith by looking at the light. And that's what I want to uh, press on you this morning is what John is encouraging us to do. He starts the whole passage with what I think is actually the key. He says, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Well, what does that mean? God's character is unchanging, but it also means what he says is what he does. There is no disconnect there. And that is really important because the very next verse, John tells us that if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, right, you see here there's a disconnect between the words and the actions. We lie speaking, and do not practice the truth. I didn't notice that at first, actually. I, I'd read through this passage many times, and as I meditated upon it, I saw that what was happening and what John is really pressing in on is this connection between life and what is said, what we say we are and what we do, who we say we are and what we do. Right? There is a disconnect happening, and that is the cause of so many issues. So the question really is, well, what does it mean to walk in darkness then? Well, it is that very thing, to say we are one thing and to do the opposite. So in a modern context, I mean, there's a lot of examples that could come to mind, but what came to mind immediately for me is 
I, I think we drive by a church on the way here. I don't know if it's a Methodist church or a Lutheran church. I'm unfamiliar, but it has like the six or seven doors that are rainbow colored. I don't know if anyone notices it if you come from the east. And it says, all are welcomed, or our doors are open to all. Right? And if you think about that, you're like, well, yeah, the gospel does open the door to all people to come and repent and live. But what, is, what are they really saying with their words and actions? Well, they're not saying that, right? They, they might be saying all are welcomed or the doors are open to all people, but what their actions are showing us is they're saying, oh, you can come and whatever you're doing is okay. Whatever you're doing is fine with us. God approves of your lifestyle. God approves of you. Just come. Just come. Just come. And you see that the main issue there is not the, the fact that they say come. The issue is that they forget and don't emphasize repentance. And that's where John is going to lead us. The key that is missing in those messages is they don't say come and repent. All they say is come. And we accept you for who you are, no matter what. And that is kind of the point with John saying, God is light. In him there is no darkness. If we say we are Christian, but we walk in darkness, that is, if we say we follow Christ, but do not repent, then we are in darkness. And that's kind of the crux of the message. Right? Walking in darkness, in a sense, means walking in unrepentance, not repenting. So knowing that, uh, there's some ditches that we can fall into, right? There's two ditches I'm going to talk about that, you know, if you're thinking about a path or you're running, like, oh, there's one side, there's the other. The first one, John gives us straight in verse uh, 7 here. He says, uh, I mean, verse 6, my bad. He says, you know, if we say we have, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, what, what's really getting there? Well, this is the age-old heresy of Pelagianism. And this is what Augustine combated his whole life, actually. And why Augustine is known for talking about original sin. Pelagius, what he argued was sin was actually just a learned behavior. And so what can you do with a learned behavior? Well, you can unlearn it. As long as you teach people the right things and teach them to act the right way, then they will not sin. We're going to see that's a major issue later on in these verses. Because what does John say? He says, if we say we have not sinned, or if we say we have no sin, then we make God a liar. The issue with that belief is it talks about the Christian as someone who is completely sinless. It is someone who is able to not sin all the time. And that is just not true. That's why Augustine really pressed, no, sin is not just learned. It is actually internal. It is indwelt. It comes out of our nature. In a sense, we can't help but sin because it is a part of who we are. <coughs> so the question arises then, well, does Jesus talk about these ideas, right? I mean, I, I always like to go back to the Gospels, not that the rest of the word isn't God's word. It totally is. But the parables that Jesus brings forth often give us light and shed light onto these situations. And he talks about a very interesting scenario uh, between two sons, right? One who says he's going to do something and doesn't, and one who says he won't do something and does. And he asks the question, who really is the true per Who really does the will of the Father? So let me read it. If you're wondering, it's from Matthew 21, uh, verses 28 through 31. 
What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and he went and worked. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even, even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So you see the key crux, or the, the crux of the message, message there is you did not repent and believe him. Repentance is the key. The tax collectors and the prostitutes were going into the kingdom of God ahead of the Jewish people who knew the scriptures very well because they heard the message and they repented and believed. That is what we saw in Psalm 32 this morning. Uh, and I want to highlight one of the verses from it. You know, David says in Psalm 32, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So you see, even back then, it was about repentance. It was about repenting and turning to God. It was about shedding light on your sin and acknowledging and knowing your sin and bringing it before the Lord. In a sense, actions speak louder than words. That's what's kind of happening in this story. If we say we are Christian, but we do not repent daily or weekly, are we truly Christian? That's the question being begged. And that's what John is kind of pressing in on. If you say you walk with Christ, but you do not repent, are you walking with Christ? I mean, this is one of the reasons we have confession in our liturgy. I don't know if you've, if you've ever wondered, like, why do we have a confession all the time? I know when I started coming to this church, I knew it was important, but I didn't really understand until I dug deeper into it. Well, in the Old Covenant, the Levites, they were required to offer sins for both intentional and unintentional sins. And historically speaking, there was a time in the church, uh, pre right before the Reformation, where the church basically said, we, are the disp we dispense grace to you, i.e. forgiveness of sins. You must come to us and ask for forgiveness of certain sins. And whatever sins you ask for forgiveness of, we will cover your sin. But you can kind of see the issue there. People kept sinning or they had sins they didn't confess. And so the church, they were like, well, how do we deal with this? Well, what they said then was, well, those sins aren't covered, actually. So pretty much no one's going to heaven because no one's sins are covered. And everyone's going to purgatory. And everyone's going to purgatory to pay off these sins that they, didn't, uh, that they did not confess and get grace for. So you can kind of see why the reformers said the things they said. Right? They were like, wait a minute. Because what's, what's happening in that system is you're oscillating between lightness and darkness all the time. You are either under wrath or under grace, as they would say, depending on what sins you confessed. And if you confessed the right sins or not. And most people were under wrath, and so the church just said, well, look, like you're going to have to pay it off eventually, but because you're a part of the church, you get salvation. So now you can see why Martin Luther said, no, I am simultaneously a sinner and a saint. 
It is not this oscillatory effect of, hey, look, I'm flopping back and forth between the two, right? I am a saint who sins, in a sense. I am declared righteous by God, but I do sin. So how do I keep in this righteousness? How do I stay in it is the question. Well, repentance, continual repentance. And going back to the point, that's why we have confession in the liturgy. I mean, part of the confession is you every week have an opportunity to come kneel before the Lord and confess your known sins and also confess unintentional sins. And then what do we have after that? Well, we have the declaration of forgiveness, right? The declaration of salvation. That's why we sang the song we sang afterwards. More practical example, many of you know I'm a cross-country coach, and one of the things I uh, really harp on with athletics or in cross-country is soda is really bad for you, all right? Um, if you like soda, I'm not saying it's sinful. I'm just saying if you want to run fast, uh, you should probably cut soda out of your diet. It will help you. Now, what would it communicate to the runners if I, as the coach, was like, soda's really bad for you, soda's really bad for you. And then I bring a soda every week to school, and they see me drinking it. All right, we have a disconnect here between what I'm saying and what I'm doing. And so that disconnect is really foundational for understanding what John is talking about. Now, that's one ditch, right? The ditch of, I have no sin, and I'm not repenting. Well, what's the other ditch? Well, in a sense, it's the same root issue of lack of repentance, but it focuses on sin too much, and it neglects the grace of God. And I want to touch on that because the last verses in this um, section are really important and I would say really encouraging um, to focus on. So there are some who will focus so much on your sin that all they can ever do is point out your sin. All they can ever do is point out sin in general. Oh, I'm so wretched. I'm so wretched. Oh, I sinned this way. I sinned that way. I must go to the Lord. And it's this constant belaboring of how sinful I am. Well, what's the issue with that? Well, is that true repentance? True repentance is turning from sin, yes, but we must turn to something. We must turn to the light. We must turn to Christ. And that is why Paul says where sin abounds, what abounds more? Grace. And so focusing on sin and identifying sin is not bad. That's not what I'm saying. But if we neglect the grace of God and then don't walk in that grace, in a sense, we make God a liar because in a sense, we're not actually repenting of our sin. We're not turning from our sinful ways and we're not walking to do righteousness, to do good things. As John says, put off unrighteousness. And Paul says in other places, put on righteousness. With every negative command, there's a positive. It's not just don't murder, right? It's protect life. It's not don't steal, but it is also work. It is not don't bear false witness, but as Paul says, speak truth in love. And it's the same thing with this paradigm. If we say sin is so great that the grace of God can't cover it, then in a sense we make God a liar. And that's really the last portion of the verses here. In verse 8, uh, he repeats kind of the idea of verse 6. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Ditch one. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ah, that is joyous and good news. We need to remember that as we walk in repentance. 
It is not that he may forgive us. It is not that we are hopeful that he will forgive us and we may inherit salvation. No, it is almost a necessity that he forgives us if we come to him in repentance. Why? Well, from the beginning, God is light. God says, and it is done. God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. God made a promise, he fulfilled it. And God also said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. Repent and believe. What does that communicate? Well, if we come to him, repent and believe, we will be forgiven. If we focus on him and trust on him, we are forgiven. And there's a lot of comfort in that. That is why in our liturgy, we have that declaration of salvation, declaration of forgiveness. It is to instill comfort into the believer that, yes, I have confessed my sin. And it is a daily remind, it is a reminder of our sin, but it is also a reminder of God's grace towards us. It is a reminder that though my sin is so great, I have been forgiven. And I can walk in that and be joyous in that. And that is the reason Christ says, come to me all who are heavy laden. They are burdened by the weight of sin. And what is Christ's yoke? What is Christ's burden? It is light. Coming to the light actually relieves our pain and suffering induced by sin. That is what we see in Psalm 32 from David. It was literally, he says, eating at his bones. I don't know if any of you have been in the situation where you've done something wrong and you just, it's eating at your mind and it kind of wears away at you. Like, oh man, this is like really getting me. What is it? And it's simply sin eating away at your soul and your body. And when you confess it, when you go and apologize for the wrong you've done and ask for forgiveness, what happens? It's like sweet relief. It's sweet relief to the body. It encourages us. It actually brings life into our soul. And then we are actually able and wanting to bestow more grace to others. Why? Because God has shown us grace. And so as, da as Pastor Ralph has been saying uh, in the past couple sermons, you know, he doesn't focus a lot on the application because the application is necessarily an outpouring of like what we meditate on in scripture and in the liturgy. Same here. I might not know the specific sins that are plaguing each and every one of you. There's not a specific sin I can point out and say, yeah, you're coveting too much, you're stealing too much, or our congregation is doing X too much. You know, that's for the Holy Spirit to do. But what I do encourage you to do is think about some of these things. Parents, when was the last time you acknowledged your wrong in front of your children? Setting an example for your children of what walking in repentance looks like. I can tell you that's tough. I've wronged my kid, and I've had to say to him, you know, I'm sorry. And it's a humbling thing. But with that humbling, there comes a lot of peace and joy. Children, the same goes for you. When was the last time you willingly came to your parents and said, you know what, mom or dad? That was wrong. I'm sorry. Instead of them saying, you know, you did wrong, you should apologize. And then you kind of feel that burden, like, oh, I know I need to, but like, I don't want to, and what do I do, you know? I encourage you, come to the Lord, repent, and go to your parents or whoever you wronged, say, I'm sorry. Husbands, to your wives, when was the last time you said, wife, and hopefully you don't address your wife that way, but maybe you do in a funny way. Uh, wife, I have, I have sinned, like, I spoke harshly to you, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Wives. Go to your husbands. You know, maybe you call your husband, husband. Husband, you know, I have done wrong to you. I have, you know, I didn't listen to you and I did whatever I wanted. Or I, you name the sin. I, I'm not sure. 
showing that humility to others actually encourages others as well. It is very tempting for us as Christians. We, you know, we become saved, or we, we are saved, we walk in light, and then it's like, oh yeah, I kind of got it together. Then we kind of forget this key important part of walking in repentance. And then we don't really repent that often, or all we do is repent in confession and be like, yeah, I've sinned, I acknowledge I've sinned. But we really haven't gone to the party, party sinned after. And that's what I really want to encourage us today, is it's not that you have to say sorry for everything you do, or even say sorry if you make someone feel bad, because that's not necessarily sin. Um, but I really want us to examine our lives and see, are there areas at which maybe I have sinned this week and I need to go, go speak to that person? That's going to be, I guarantee, encouraging for that person and for you. And the fear often is, oh, it's going to like, make my image worth. They, they might think I'm like a certain holy person or I'm a good Christian and I'm walking this walk. But really what John is telling us is the true Christian walks in daily repentance, walks in humility, walks in the fact and understanding that I may sin. I mean, that's why John says in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Raise your hand if you've sinned. You don't actually have to because I know you all have, right? I have too, right? And so what we do, though, is going to communicate what we believe about this. If we just say, yeah, I've sinned, right? Yeah, I sin, but we never actually repent of sin, kind of like the cross-country example, if I, bring, if I tell my athletes not to drink a soda, but I drink a soda, what am I really communicating? What we do more than anything showcases what we believe. I'm not saying words are not important. Words are very important. Words give life. Words tear down. But the connection between our character and our speech needs to be one-to-one. -one. It needs to be like God. God is light because in him there is no falsehood. He does no wrong. What he says he's going to do, he does, is one aspect of it. And we need to mimic that. And just like Moses, after he came down from the mountain, radiated the glory of God to the people that he had to cover his face, so too when we walk in the light, walk in repentance, what we are actually doing is we are radiating the light of Christ to others around us. And that's my charge for you, is to go into the dark world radiating that light, showing humility. And here's, a, here's something that may be really uncomfortable. You may actually sin against someone who's not a Christian. Oh, that's a tough situation. What do I do? You may actually have to go to that person and say, I have done wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? What does that communicate? It communicates the character of a Christian. That a Christian is humble, just like Christ was humble. That a Christian understands that we may do wrong. And there is offer of forgiveness and grace and mercy. But if we never do that, and we just say, no, I've never done wrong to them, or, you know, I may have, but I confessed it at church, I'm good. We're not really showing the light fully. And so that's my charge and encouragement for you this week. As you go forth and meditate upon this passage, acknowledge by your words, you know, you have sinned and what Christ has done for you. But on the other hand, acknowledge by your actions as well what Christ has done for you. And what has he done? He has 
brought, brought you righteousness. He has offered a way to salvation. He has given you life. And as we see in scripture, Christ's command to people is this, repent or perish. Repentance is the key. And my fear is that in general evangelicalism in America, what I've noticed is that repentance has been taken out of that equation. Repentance is the key that has been lost. And if we go forth and we tell other Christians even, it's about repentance and belief. Repent to God. Bring your sins to the light. It's going to do a lot of good. And we're going to shine the light. Just as Christ tells us, you are the light of the world. The world is dark out there. They're going to justify their actions all day long. Right? Non-Christians continuously are saying, yeah, I'm not at fault. Or I am at fault, but what can I do? Right? I'm going to try to explain away my difficulties. I'm going to try to explain away my anger. I'm going to try to explain why I killed that person or I stole. Right? All the psychology there. And what's really eating away at them, and sometimes I think we forget this, sin is eating away at their very soul. They are burdened, heavily burdened. They do not experience freedom. Non-Christians don't have that freedom of walking in the light and being bathed in the light and being bathed in that warmness and experience the, the lightness of the yoke of Christ. What we can do is offer that to them by our words and our deeds. And that's what John is saying. We need to go forth continuing in repentance. So that's my charge to you this week. Go forth in repentance, right? Whether it's your family, coworkers, children, spouse, Parents, it might even be really tough for some of you, you know, older parents to your adult children to say it. And it might be really tough for some of you stubborn adult children to say it to your parents. I can speak from experience. All right? It can be tough. But it shows a lot about who we are. And it's going to communicate a lot to those around us. Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning in 1 John, and we thank you for um, bringing us out of darkness into light because you are the light, and we ask that you would continue to show light on our sins, um, help us to repent, and to believe and trust in the forgiveness and grace of God, the grace that you have bestowed to us and given to us um, from the beginning of time you have planned this out and have called us uh, into the light. And so help us to radiate that light to others as well. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.